Welcome to Practical Wisdom, a weekly podcast about ancient Greco-Roman philosophy. I'm your host, Massimo Pigliucci. Today's reading is from Cicero, Tuscan Disputations 1.13.14. In Book 1 of the Tuscan Disputations, Cicero tackles the question of whether we should be afraid of death. He mounts a series of arguments for why the answer ought to be negative. The following quotes are from two distinct sections, and accordingly, bring up two different yet related points for discussion. Quote, Who is there, then, that does not lament the loss of his friends, principally from imagining them deprived of the conveniences of life? Take away this opinion, and you remove with it all grief. For no one is afflicted merely on account of a loss sustained by himself. Perhaps we may be sorry and grieve a little, but that bitter lamentation and those mournful tears have their origin in our apprehensions that he whom we loved is deprived of all the advantages of life and is sensible of his loss. Shall the industrious husbandman plant trees the fruit of which he shall never see? And shall not the great men found laws, institutions, and the republic? What does the procreation of children imply, and our care to continue our names, and our adoptions, and our scrupulous exactness in drawing up wills, and the inscriptions on monuments and panegyrics, but that our thoughts run on futurity. Unquote. The first excerpt makes the point that we are mistaken when we think that dead people are deprived of this or that or the other. They are not deprived of anything at all, for the simple reason that there are no dead people. Death means the cessation of all conscious activity, which means that there isn't going to be any us there to experience anything, including pain and loss. Living human beings experience those things, so that when we are distressed at the death of someone, the sentiment is not really about them, it is about us. Which is why Cicero adds that we are right in being sorry, and we're justified in grieving, a little. What we're not justified in doing is to fall into deep despair, or to manifest our grief with, as he puts it, bitter lamentation and mournful tears. He is not being heartless. He is just pointing out that we are a bit selfish when we indulge in extreme grief, because the grief cannot possibly be about the dead person. It's about us. It's not an example of altruism, as it superficially would seem, but rather one of self-centeredness. We are aware that the dead person can no longer love, or enjoy a good meal, or the company of friends, and so forth. But they, the dead people, are not aware of any of it, because they do not exist. Again, far from being heartless, the point is a very reasonable one, based on a better understanding of the nature of life and death. But, one may object, I can't help to feel deep distress. I can't help to be emotionally devastated. Yes, you can. We need to get off this inane idea that emotions are somehow inevitable and cannot be influenced or reshaped. Emotions, according to both the ancient Stoics and modern cognitive scientists, are cognitive, They are the result of certain patterns of thought we engage in. Such patterns of thoughts can be challenged, and challenging them, cognitive behavioral therapy demonstrates, results in altering those very emotions. If we are deeply distressed by the death of a loved one because we think they will be sorry to miss out on life experiences, such thought can be challenged with the alternative one, that those people are not missing anything at all. Indeed, We should also challenge our own tendency to think of them as people in the first place. Dead people are not people. 
If the challenge to our assumptions is successful, it will also sooner or later sink down to the emotional level, and we will feel relief. Let's move on to the second part of today's quote, the one that begins, Shall the Industrious Husbandman. Here Cicero shifts to a different source of consolation about death, the idea that we do, in a sense, survive our physical demise. Not because our consciousness somehow continues after death, but because we leave a legacy. In fact, he correctly argues that much of what we do in life aims at shaping such legacy. We plant trees that we will never see. We write laws and create institutions that will hopefully last many generations. We have children so that our genetic line will keep propagating itself. We erect monuments representing people or ideas we care about. We do all this because we sense that the only true shot at immortality comes from the remembrance by others of what we do, not from our continued existence after death, which is nothing more than wishful thinking. Thank you for listening to Practical Wisdom. We will return next week, fate permitting.